I'm going to read tonight God's word in the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 1. And I know that's a little bit of an odd uh, break, maybe, but remember that uh, the words in your Bible are inspired, infallible. Uh, the chapter breaks and the verses are not necessarily so. In fact, the chapter breaks, the chapters and the verse numbers were added uh, later, and they're very helpful. But sometimes they got those chapter breaks wrong, and this is one of them. Uh, that first verse really belongs with what we have as chapter 1 in our English Bibles. So with that, let me read God's word. The word of Yahweh, which came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When Yahweh first spoke through Hosea, Yahweh said to Hosea, go, take for yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking Yahweh. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, Diblaim, and she conceived and gave birth to a son for him. And Yahweh said to him, name him Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will visit the bloodshed of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and I will cause the kingdom of the house of Israel to cease. And it will be in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter, and Yahweh said to him, to Hosea, Name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, that I would ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and save them by Yahweh their God, and I will not save them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. Then she weaned Lo-Ruhamah, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And Yahweh said, Name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it will be in that place where they said to them, You are not my people. It will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will set for themselves one head, and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pause and pray at the beginning of our study of this book. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for all of your word. And we confess again that there are some portions of your word that are perhaps not as instantly appealing to us. They seem more distant, more unrelated. But we want to, we want to practice what we preach in terms of our declaration that all scripture is breathed out by you. All scripture is useful, profitable. And so we come now to this portion of your word given to your servant Hosea um, nearly 3,000 years ago. And we pray that you would, by your own spirit, use this word 
maybe in ways we could not anticipate in our lives and in our church in these days, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we come to the book of Hosea. And uh, the book of Hosea, the, the name means Yahweh saves. Uh, Hosea is, is very similar to Joshua, Joshua, Yeshua, which is, which is Jesus. So in a way, this Old Testament book is entitled Jesus. Yahweh saves. And it is, the letter is a picture, a parable, a prophecy of God and of Christ's covenant love for his people. And yes, I said God and Christ because I want to remind you at the outset that as we learned about the glory and the excellence of Jesus Christ this morning, of God the Son, remember when we study our Old Testaments that though we are going back before the incarnation, that the God of the Old Testament is our God. There is only one God. There is our God, our Father, and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. This is our God. And what we're learning of Yahweh here, who is the name of God revealed to his people, and is the Father Yahweh? Yes. Is the Son Yahweh? Yes. Is the Spirit Yahweh? Yes. One God, Yahweh the covenant God of his people. And so we're learning about God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So I say that at the outset. To, we're not studying a different God here. And it's absolutely right for us to think by way of application of the love of our Lord Jesus Christ for us, his people. So Hosea is a, is a prophecy, is a, is a prophet that, to whom God gave a ministry, a very difficult task of attempting to help Israel, primarily the northern part of God's people in north of Israel in the north. He also had a ministry to Judah in the south, but of of trying to illustrate and get a hold of their attention of how disastrous their adultery, their spiritual adultery was. And by now in our study of 2 Kings, we've been hearing for virtually 200 years Since the kingdom in the north broke off from the kingdom in the south, we've heard nothing except in the north except, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Once in a while, kings in the Judah, we've heard, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But pretty much up in the north, they have pretty much a perfect record of not doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. And the text has focused on the kings in particular, and yes, the kings were responsible and the prophets in the north, the false prophets, of leading the people astray. But sadly, the people were not victims. They, their own hearts were prone to adultery, spiritual adultery, blasphemy, of violating God's law, of worshiping Baals and Asherahs and, and going after idols or, or even worshiping God wrongly uh, by worshiping the golden calves uh, that had been made. And so they had been in the north worshiping other gods and had for 200 years or so been unfaithful uh, to Yahweh by the time Hosea comes along. And so Yahweh chooses to try and shock his people in love uh, by telling a young man named Hosea, to go and marry a harlot. 
Now, that's very shocking. We, have, we immediately have questions, you know. Well, wait a minute. God commanded, thou shalt not commit adultery. And what is God doing commanding a young man to go and marry a woman who is either a prostitute at the time they're married or after? And which is it? We don't know. And honestly, that's not the point. Um, God is using this means in love to try and get a hold of the, temp- the, the, the attention of his people and through this young man, Hosea, illustrate their unfaithfulness and his covenant love and loyalty. It is shocking. And as Dr. Busnitz uh, entitles in his sermon outline of this, it's a love story. And the book of Hosea is a love story. It's a story of God's unchanging, unremitting, dauntless love for his people. It's incredible. He had chosen Israel, not because they were greater or mightier, but all in grace. And he set his love on Israel, and yet Israel turned from him, but he persisted in love. So, in our brief outline tonight, in chapter 1, verse 2, as in verse 1, we learn the days that Hosea is ministering in, and it's in the days that we've been studying very recently, the days of Uzziah, King Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah in the south, and they were in the days of Jeroboam, the king of Israel in the north. We just finished learning about this Jeroboam. This is Jeroboam II, and he was perhaps the most successful king in Israel in the north. And so they were days in his 42 years of reign where things looked like they were going really good and it seemed like they were, there was no penalty or cost for disobeying the Lord and committing adultery. But that, that, those days of uh, seeming abundance were to soon be over because as we learned recently in 2 Kings, Assyria was knocking on the door and their seeming strength was about to be exposed as uh, Israel's strength as utter weakness. And it was not long before they were going to be hauled off. So those were the days that Hosea was ministering in, the very time that we've been studying. And in chapter 1, verse 2 then, God commands Hosea to take for himself a harlot, a prostitute, and have children of harlotry. Um, And here we have a picture of unfaithfulness, a picture of unfaithfulness. It's a shocking picture. It's uh, shocking that God does this to us. We're we're amazed, but that's part of the point. God, remember, many years later would have a prophet named Ezekiel do some pretty shocking things in order to get the attention of his people. And we are perhaps tempted to kind of get off on that tangent. Was that, was that right for God to do that? And if we go off on that tangent, we are, we are really off track because God in his holiness is trying to help his people who are desensitized to the nature of sin see it for what it is. And so it is shocking. He has this young man, Hosea, 
commands him. Can you, can you imagine? He's a young man, apparently a God-fearing man, one of the few people that loves Yahweh, and maybe he's been looking forward to being married. Young man, he's got plans. And Yahweh comes to him in a vision, or we don't know exactly how, and says to him, go take for yourself a wife of harlotry. Again, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us exactly. Is she a, is she a prostitute at the time that he marries her? Or, or is he marrying a woman that uh, God directs him, that tells him up front, you're going to marry this girl and um, she's going to be unfaithful to you, which we don't know. Either way, uh, Hosea knows going into the marriage that this woman is going to be unfaithful to him. Now, uh, it's in my mind uh, the thought that uh, some might be thinking, uh, here we go, uh, women again are, are being uh, cast in a bad light in the Bible. Um, we've spent a lot of time in First and Second Kings, and uh, most of the people that are highlighted that are really, 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 really bad haven't been women, the men. So, I mean, if you want to count, like, how many times the Bible puts men into bad light and women, you can do that. But um, the Bible does not blame women as though they are somehow inherently more bad. Neither does it present the idea that women are somehow less bad than men. <laughs> so, there, I just offended everybody. Um, that's just the way it is. So, so just, you know... Uh, the Bible has held up men being rascals. Uh, it's so uh, there. Enough said on that. So um, Israel, the, this woman is a picture of Israel, and that is the reason why um, it, it has nothing to do with uh, womanhood. It has to do with picturing a marriage, and a marriage picturing the covenant relationship of God with His people. And is likened to a marriage. And there, Israel's unfaithfulness to Yahweh and their worshiping other gods is like serial um, adultery. And so Hosea is commanded to go and take a wife of harlotry. Um, I really don't know, but I, I'm inclined to think that uh, this woman, whose name is Gomer, may have been known to be a harlot before Hosea even took her as his wife. It was shocking. It was shocking whether it was after or before, but Hosea is doubtless a, a good boy. He was, people in the community know him. He's a, he's a goody two-shoes, maybe in the adult, uh, sorry, the uh, blasphemous, idolatrous northern Israel. Hosea maybe stands out. And then he goes and marries Gomer. I mean, Gomer's known around town as the girl that um, maybe the mothers of boys don't want their boys around. And Hosea nonetheless marries Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. And the reason for this, we're told, is that the land... And the land that God gave to Israel and Judah is, remember, very tightly woven with the people and the covenant of God with the people. 
The land, speaking of the people, commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking Yahweh. It's a reminder of what sin is. There's nothing cute about sin. There's nothing minor about sin. There is no such thing as a little sin. Yes, some sins are worse than others. Absolutely. Not all sins are the same. But all sin is egregious. And all sin is against a holy God. All sin is a turning from God and and his lordship over us and is a form of forsaking him, forsaking the Lord. I, I, I wonder and I suspect that all of us are susceptible to being desensitized to sin too. It's hard for us. We're just so used to it. Um, here in New England, we just have to live at a cultural level with, with things that are just abhorrent to God and we have to go by our days and so in a sense we kind of have to become desensitized and that's just the way it is but it's a different thing when it's in here or it's in here and we just become kind of comfortable with patterns in our lives that we know are displeasing to the Lord when a church just becomes accepts things like gossip and, and I'm not aware of that going on here but I'm just just saying, when in a church we, we tend to think, well, you know, after all, we're only human. And, and so we just become kind of easy and comfortable with sin. And we, for, we, we forget that it is, it is a form of adultery. It's a form of, of forsaking our covenant head, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very personal. And that's part of the reason why God has Hosea picture unfaithfulness through marrying a harlot it is shocking it's shocking because sin is is should be shocking we should be grieved by sin and we should be sensitive to it but secondly in verses three through nine then we have after he have a picture of unfaithfulness we have a picture of judgment they are married uh, Hosea marries Gomer and um they have a, a son, and uh, the first son is, verse 4, named Jezreel. And we're told that the reason for that is um, God is going to judge Israel in part because of the house of Jehu. Now, we've learned about Jehu, and God had promised to Jehu that uh, his descendants to the fourth generation would reign in Israel in the north, but we just, I think it was just three weeks ago, we learned, and there was a verse, um, uh, the house of Jehu was exterminated, was finished, because God had said to the fourth generation. And Jehu had apparently, in Second Kings chapter 10, verse 11, when God had uh, given him orders to uh, clear out the house of Ahab and uh, to issue judgment, Jehu apparently went far beyond what God had commanded and, and became apparently guilty of, of sin that needed to be atoned for. And so there's judgment here. There's judgment upon the house of Jehu. There's judgment upon the king of Israel in the north. And the son of Gomer, the first son of Gomer and Hosea pictures that. The second son, um, I'm sorry, uh, daughter, in verse 6, 
In verse 6, I, I need to back up. I'm sorry. The verse 4, not only is there be judgment on, on the house of Jehu, but the kingdom of Israel will, will cease. And again, where we are in 2 Kings 15, 16, 17, that's right where we have learned of the Assyrians and their end, the Assyrians conquering Israel in the north is, is about to come. And they are, the, the house of Israel will cease. And to this day, the house of Israel in the north does not exist. God will reconstitute that house in the last days. Second daughter in verse 6 that pictures judgment, I'm sorry, the second child, is a daughter. And her name, Yahweh tells Hosea to name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them. Um, that name means, uh, it indicates uh, no compassion. God will not have compassion on Israel. And you need to qualify what God says. It, it doesn't mean that he will never restore Israel because just a few verses later, in verse 10, God says, yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea. So the point of verse 6 is that judgment by the Assyrians is coming on Israel in the north, and this time there's no, uh, there's no second chance in terms of, of forestalling the judgment of God. Um, some of you uh, maybe know the experience uh, when you were a child that uh, maybe you had a, a parent who, who uh, didn't want to discipline and, and maybe you could appeal, you know, mom, come on, give me one more chance or dad, give me, give me one more chance and, and, and maybe they did. Maybe they gave you one or two chances. Uh, my dad's here tonight. My brother always got in trouble and uh, he would be able to appeal to my mom. I, I, was, I was good, wasn't I, dad? And... Um, uh, and uh, he'd be able to appeal, you know, and maybe make a joke and, and make mom, you know, for, uh, hold off on. And, um, uh, but, boy, there came a time when he pushed the limit. That was over. It didn't matter what was coming. The L.L. Bean canoe paddle about this big was coming out. And uh, it was judgment time. And uh, so... <laughs> Uh, that, that the idea of, of you, th- there comes a point when there's no more, there's no more forbearance. There's no more grace. Time for judgment has come. And Israel in the north, God had given them 200 years of, of knocking on the door, giving forms of judgment to call them back, sending prophets, but they resisted, 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 resisted. And the point of verse 6 is, this time I'm going to, after I break the bow of Israel, um, I, there is not going to be any more stalling of my judgment. So God is going, the Assyrians are going to come. They are going to demolish Samaria, the capital city. They are going to haul off the people of Israel in the north, scatter them. That was their policy uh, that was a pretty effective way of squashing rebellion. You, you'd actually take the people of the country that you're conquering and you take them out, you displace them, you send them somewhere else 
where they maybe don't even speak the language. It's difficult for them to organize and recapture. And um, this is what the Assyrians would do. And God was going to let it happen, and he did, fearfully so. And then the third child. Lo-Ami, verse 9. She weaned Lo-Ruhamah, no compassion, in verse 8. And Gomer conceived and gave birth to a son. And, and at this point... Um, the indication likely is that the, maybe the first son was Hosea's, but uh, the next two children, not necessarily so. Uh, it just says that she conceived. Uh, we don't know, but again, she is an adulteress and a prostitute, a harlot. And so these literally may not uh, be Hosea's children. And so this Third child is a son, verse 8, and Yahweh tells Hosea, name him Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami, for you are not my people. Lo is the Hebrew word for not. Um, Me is my, Am is people. Lo-Ami, you are not my people, and I am not your God. That is a most devastating um, picture. What a, what a difficult, drastic name. Your child, Hosea's child, is introducing himself in grade school. What's your name? Um, David? No. Um, Samson? No. Um, Shamgar? That's a great his. his Hero, that's, that's my favorite name. I still haven't convinced anybody to name their son Shamgar. It's just so manly. You take out 600 Philistines with an ox goat? I mean, come on. Shamgar, no. Ooh. Caleb, no. Well, then what's your name? My name's Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami. There's, there's no Hebrew boy named Loami. It would get attention, and that was God's intent. It was through this little boy to communicate to the people of Israel a very devastating message. You are no longer my people, and I am not your God. Um. We may think that these kinds of severe warnings are only for the Old Testament, but then we need to remember Revelation chapter 2 and 3 when Jesus has messages to the various churches, new covenant churches that confess his name. And he praises them for some things, but churches like Laodicea, he's ready to spew them out of his mouth. Apparently they've so disobeyed the Lord, they've so forsaken obeying the Lord and his ways that it becomes as though they are not even his people. That's the most precious terms, that we could be God's people and that he could be our God, our God. Of course, God is the God of everyone, whether they want him to be or not, because he's God. But for God, that phrase, our God, in the Bible is very precious. If you're a Christian, God is your God. What that means is he has covenanted himself 
to be God to you, to be all that he is in his godness, to be for you, to be to you, to be God to you. He owns you. To be the people of God, to be the people of Christ, to be Christ's people is an unspeakable grace and privilege. To be rejected by God or to be rejected by Christ, a church, because of its disobedience and its sin. And all over this town, in this area, there are historic churches where we can be absolutely certain where there were once a church that might have been owned by the Lord because it preached the gospel, but now with their flags flying out front and so forth, and they declare that they have abandoned the word of God and the rule of God, you might as well just write over that church, lo ami, not my people. There may be a cross on the steeple, but Christ has not owned that church. And we want to, through these warnings, we want to humbly ask the Lord to do whatever he must to keep us close to him to keep us sensitized to sin, that we might please him and that we might be his people and that he might be our Lord. A picture of unfaithfulness, a picture of judgment, and thirdly and finally tonight, then in verses 10 through chapter 2, verse 1, a picture of restoration. And this is so typical of the prophets, drastic, uh, shocking uh, messages of judgment Because God is holy and he hates sin. He will never compromise. He will never meet us halfway with our sin. He'll never settle. He'll never never just kind of get along. He will always be holy and not compromise. And so he will judge and he will issue warning. But God is God in his love and kindness And once he makes a covenant and once he sets his love on his people, he doesn't back off. And so this is a little bit unique because the nation of Israel and nation of Judah are distinct in redemptive history. You can't make a one-to-one correspondence that Israel of old is like the church today. There are overlapping principles that we can certainly apply, but this nation, these physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were chosen by God to be recipients of his promise, and through them would come uh, the son of David, his own son, God's own son incarnate, that would then be a blessing to all people. So God had special purposes for the sons and daughters of Abraham the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, which in the mind of God is still one people. They might have separated, but notice, as we'll look at this, God God will not give up. And he says, verses 10 and 11, yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea. Where did he get that? That's new. No. Um, He said that to a guy named Abram a long time before Hosea. And he's still stuck on it. He's not going to give up. The son, number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it will be in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people. Lo ami. It will be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Wow. 
And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together. They haven't been gathered together at this point when Hosea is prophesying for 200 years. I mean, that's almost like saying England and the United States are going to be one nation again. I mean, it's, it's, about, it's about the same length of time. And they've been fighting and killing each other and hating each other's guts. And God's going to bring them together. The sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together. That has not happened to this day. That is going to happen. And it is texts like this why our church teaches the restoration and the reunification of Israel and Judah in the last days. And they will be gathered together. And they will set for themselves one head, one king. Hmm, I wonder who that might be. His name is Hosea, Yeshua, Jesus, Yahweh saves one head and they will go up from the land for it will be great. The day, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And the change is evident in chapter two, verse one, that in that day, say to your brothers, Ami. So lo Ami, lo is the Hebrew word for not. Drop the not. Ami, my people. They're called now by this term this, that God loves to use, Ami, my people. And to your sisters, Ruhama, Ruhama, compassion, recipients of compassion. It's a promise of restoration, a picture of unfaithfulness, a picture of judgment, and in the chapter ends with a promise of restoration. This is just like our God. Um, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And he did judge Israel and Judah. And to this day, uh, Israel, there's a partial hardening. But God is going to renew Israel and Judah. Why? Even in the face of all the naysayers, why? Because he's that kind of God. And he is that kind of he has that kind of love and aren't you thankful um, if if my future were dependent upon my faithfulness to God I'm done but God is faithful to us we're still called to be faithful it doesn't mean we can sit back and coast we're learning that in second Peter we're going to learn that in Hosea God is calling his people to repent to turn in faithful faithfulness to him and love but here's wonderful, wonderful comfort and encouragement. God is unrelenting in his love for his people. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you for your faithful love to your bride, the church. We marvel at how you are so undaunted and persistent in the face of all the mess that the professing church is today. And yet you still love us, and we bless you for it. We thank you, our God, for the message of Hosea and this shocking picture. And we pray that in the coming weeks, as you give us the opportunity, that you would teach us from this portion of your word about your amazing love. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen.